North Otago. It's rich in history and strong in character. And you have found the podcast that celebrates all that is good within our district. Join Gary and Damien every week as they either interview a legend or someone who is putting North Otago on the map yet again. North Otago legends, up-and-comers, and a bit of history. The name says it all. Hello, Gary. Welcome back. Hello, Damien. Yeah, great to be back again. Yeah, no, it's good, isn't it? Yep. It's been a, a yeah, we've had a wee bit of a gap. Yeah, we missed a couple of weeks there, but um, yeah, I had a few people chasing me up, but and, and that's good that there are people listening. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, it's just it's good to be back on air, and it's good to have another fantastic guest today. He's got a colourful <laughs> guest, I would say. Would you would colourful be the right uh, word? I, I think so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it could be taken all sorts of ways, couldn't it? But yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, someone certainly with with a with a, a you know really impressive history of uh, yeah all sorts of things really. Um, Bit of politics, but certainly uh, entertainment. Um, yeah, some really good stuff in there. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I want to find out is pre-politics life, you know, and um, and how that all come about. And then why did he move to Omaru or North Otago? Because mm. we know it's the jewel of New Zealand, <laughs> but what, what drew him here? So do you want to introduce today's guest to us? Uh, yeah, let's get straight into it. So, uh, yeah, it's a great, great pleasure. I, I do uh, introduce uh, Jim Hopkins, <laughs> raconteur. <laughs> counselor and <laughs> part-time counselor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, good afternoon, gentlemen, and thank you both for inviting me. It's a it's a great honour, a rare privilege indeed, to be on a, glo- a podcast with a global reach, audience of millions. I understand, Damien. Um, you're getting there, Jim. Yeah. Getting there. You've got to start somewhere. So, well, indeed, um, so, yeah, yes, but now yes. that your name is out there, I'm sure well, the we'll ratings will plunge. No, no. <laughs> um, you're one of those people, Jim. We all feel like we know you. We've seen you around, but I just yeah. want to. I, I realise there's probably not as much. I don't know as much about you as there is to know. So today we want to get you on the podcast. We want to, um, you know, have a good chat and yes. find out who is Jim. And, uh-huh. um, yeah, so let's start off. Where were you born? Well, I was born in Waimati. Um, uh, I think my, my understanding is my mum was there at the time. Yeah. Uh, famous place, Waimati, a uh, great place for, to be born in. Um, yeah. There's Norman Kirk was born there, another famous New Zealander, D. Kircher, mayor of the Waitaki district, was born there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, and, 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 so, and so was I, yes, yes. Three great people. Yes, indeed, yes. Well, all on the same week in all probability. <laughs> <laughs> no, in various, varying decades. Um, and, but but I, the first five years of my life I spent in Tamuka. Uh, Dad Dad was an Anglican minister. Not a, not a He didn't run the house of breakthrough. No. He ran, I think, St Peter's uh, in Tamuka. And uh, we grew up in the vicarage there, which is right on that corner with, where they remodelled the sort of wiggly bit as you head north or south. Yeah. Through, so you don't go down Timaru's Main Street, which incidentally, yeah, I think is one of the South Island sort of rather overlooked architectural gems. Next time you're going through Timuka, if you haven't done it recently, go down the Main Street. We have character here in abundance, but there's a lot of character on that street as well. And it, it, for the same reason as here, developments passed it by, so it survived. Yeah. Anyway, five years in Timuka, and then our dad became vicar at Addington, St Mary's Addington in Christchurch. Working class area um, was quite close to the railway lines. They used to have crossing guards at the time, and all the crossing guards were all wounded or had been injured in accidents. So they'd sit in these wee huts, 
uh, by the tracks and the trains would go past. And as the trains were coming, they would come out with the paddle to say stop. But, you know, one of them, someone would have only one arm or one and one leg and they'd come out on a crutch and prop themselves up. And, and uh, we used to do terrible things on bikes. We'd go too close to them. <laughs> Attract all manner of quite legitimate outrage. <laughs> so here's the Anglican minister doing his best in the town and his son was running around... Was it trouble? Was that right? Uh, yeah. Or just having fun? Uh, just occasionally. Yeah, very, just, very yeah, occasionally. Yeah. Very, very, yeah. very occasionally. Being a little scamp. Yeah. Yes, being slightly mischievous. Yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, grew up there. Went to Addington Primary School, then Christchurch South Intermediate, and uh, and then I went to Boys High. Yeah. Christchurch Boys? Christchurch Boys High, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. And did you excel in school? How did you go? Uh, well, I would um, no, no. At primary school, I was selected as a member of the Canterbury E Grade hockey team. Oh yes, <laughs> we had one match a year. Uh, one uh, every year, the Canterbury E Grade hockey team travelled by Midlands bus across to Greymouth. All the uh, West Coast team came uh, east, and we had a match against uh, the West Coast. And Canterbury always won. Except for the year <laughs> that we played, they beat us five-one, and our goalie was a lad called Tubby from Kashmir High School who let five goals through and sobbed, uh, sobbed, um, <laughs> with, you know, sobbed. Um, I'm trying to think of the right word, but just intensely yeah. in the dressing, in the changing rooms afterwards, which were sort of relatively rudimentary because the whole thing was played on a reclaimed landfill, and there was some sort of. <laughs> Rusty uh, tin and so on that weren't that far from below the surface of the soil. Anyway, mm. uh, that was, but by by the time I was at high school, my um, sporting achievements had basically. I did pl- carry on playing hockey, which yeah. was crazy wearing glasses. But I can honestly say I was at the same form, same year as Graham Henry, all black coach. Yes, oh, wow. Come on. and one year behind me or two was Richard Hadley. So um, and. and uh, um, so, yeah. you were, so you were near greatness. Near greatness, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's, none of it rubbed off, but I, but I, but I so sensed the aroma of achievement, yes. Graham Henry obviously. Sobbed remorsefully, that's what Tubby <laughs> did in the game, the, yes. Graham yes. Henry obviously, he's a rugby head, he played rugby. Did he associate with the hockey boys? Did you hang out? Oh, no, 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 no. Hockey was very much a lower yeah. order sport. Yeah. Um, okay. First 15 was definitely where it was at, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but 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 oddly again, oddly enough, um, the the boys high hockey team while I was at boys high, can comprise some of the some really great Selwyn Meister a couple of anyway most of them trained by a sort of a rabid Christchurch communist who ran a. a, a seriously a communist bookshop in New Regent Street and the hockey authorities. Cyril Walters, his name was, I think, and the hockey authorities were deeply uncomfortable with the fact that he was involved. So they kind of managed to avoid the fact that he had trained essentially the Canterbury team, well, most of the team that went to Montreal and won a gold medal. Oh, wow. um, and they may have done that after I'd left school. Uh, in fact, I think they did, but they, they, were, they began their hockey careers at Boys High. Yeah. While I was in, I like to think it was my inspirational uh, yeah. influence because I was in the debating team. Yeah. <laughs> and we came down here to Waitaki with the rugby guys one year for inter-sport, inter-school comps, 
And um, needless to say, we got done like a dog dinner in the Hall of Memories. Local judge, local judge. Yeah. We were clearly the better team, but the <laughs> local lawyer gave it to the Waitaki well, with heads. I don't <laughs> imagine he was biased at all. No, no, not in this part of it. Um, so uh, that would be interesting. Were you on the same bus as the rugby heads and the debaters would have had to sit up the front? Or no, we had to sit at the back um, and, and was sort of a certain amount of ribald teasing went on. Yeah, I imagine. Because um, the debating lads were a bit sort of, a, of, of an egg headed persuasion and slightly sort of mildly Asperger-esque or, you know, they weren't sort of robust and virile and, yeah. and didn't have many stories to tell about um, encounters with members of the opposite sex. <laughs> <laughs> so that was your first debate? No, 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 no. No, in Waitaki. No, no, we debated it. Uh, we did, it was in school competition at Christchurch as well. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, I think that was the first out-of-town one. Mm. And then I uh, carried on debating at, um, at university. Which is weird because, I mean, at the time there'd be more people in the teams than there were in the audience. Yeah. It's just boring as, I mean, because they were all deeply serious topics and no one cared a toss what yeah. six undergraduates thought. Um, but then uh, I got picked to be in the New Zealand University debating team and we went over to Australia oh, wow. where they had these um, Oxford Union style debates which were focused on fun. Yeah. And they'd, get, they'd bring people in, politicians and and journalists or people like that to join in the debate. So they were names. So all of a sudden you were going along to hear not what somebody said but who it was who was saying it. And the whole emphasis was on fun. And I came back to Canterbury and I thought, this is fantastic. And we started started doing it at Canterbury University and we got people into debate topics, some serious, some funny. And basically the whole kind of – I mean, it's, it's, it's really part of the – growth of comedy in New Zealand. Yeah. I mean, those festival debates were a very early form of stand-up comedy. Yeah. We had an Oxford Union team tour here and, you know, debates with them, Dave McPhail and John Gadsby and all sorts, Alan Grant and all sorts of other people, Michelle Court, all sorts of people, Kerry Woodham yeah. all took part. Um, and really that, it, it, it was one of the wellsprings of live comedy in New Zealand, I think. That's yeah. great today. So, yeah, you're obviously there for debating, but did you learn some other stuff? <laughs> what, were, what were you studying? Well, well, I, um, the, the, I did uh, well at school. I did um, I, I, basically. I was very binary. Um, I think I got twenty eight in physics for school cert and thirty for maths, or the other way around, and uh, ninety five for English and eighty nine or ninety for history. So I was very biased in one direction and very inept in another, which was frustrating because rather early on I decided I'd like to be an architect. But then the people who managed architecture at the time, there was only one one way to become an architect. You had to go to the School of Architecture in Auckland and you had to have part of a university degree you had to have at least stage one <laughs> maths and physics. There was a very big gurgler down which I went in terms of that aspiration. Um, yeah. So uh, So what came the dream then? Oh, well, uh, good question. Um, I, I was thinking about that actually, wondering what you guys would ask me. Um and I, I mean, I didn't have any burning passion to be a journalist or a broadcaster or anything like that. And I, and I sometimes wonder how it happened. And I, 
I mean, I remember I've seen interviews with people like Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, mm. and one or other of them, or maybe both, said that at school no one took any notice of them until they made people laugh. And when they made people laugh, suddenly they had status. Yep. And suddenly they, they had something like the first 15, you know, a, a claim to fame. And I have a feeling it might have been something. Also, Dad being a, a, a clergyman, a minister, as you would know, mm. essentially language was his stock and trade, yeah. spoken and written. And I think I've probably just imbued that yeah. without even realising it. Um, and at university I got involved with publications. We ran a little weekly thing that got circulated free around the university and I wrote for the student newspaper Cantor and I also got involved in student reviews and wrote scripts and acted in them because these were the days when you had a capping week. Do you remember the cap? And, I mean, down here in Dunedin and in Christchurch, they were big weeks, you know, a lot of drinking. <laughs> but the ca- capping, capping parade and yeah. everyone got graduated in the fancy hats and so on. And there was, and they put on reviews. Certainly, they were very popular down in Dunedin and and in Christchurch, um, and I think in Wellington as well. Uh, in fact, I know they were very popular in Wellington. Um, and then, uh, basically, I sort of stumbled into broadcasting. John Knowles had um, he he ran TV One's newsroom in Christchurch, and as I say, my ambition had been to be an architect. And indeed, I had had the pleasure of working for Peter Bevan, who I think is one of New Zealand's 20th century geniuses, a great architect. Most of the buildings he designed have been knocked down now post-earthquake. Okay, what else is, what's he designed that we might? Uh, Well, oddly enough, he he did, for the Omaru Licensing Trust, he did the Mahino Tavern. It's early on. Um, I'm trying to think. uh, You may remember the old tunnel road building in Littleton. Yeah. On the left-hand side going into the tunnel yeah. from the Christchurch end. That was his. Some lovely buildings, uh, quite two or three big, big office blocks that are gone now. There's one still there, a very early one, with a roof bar at the moment that my son took me to a wee while ago. <laughs> very nice on the on corner of Manchester and... Oh, anyway, Manchester and Litchfield or somewhere down there, anyway, Gloucester. Uh, but if you, you see, it's about, basically about the tallest building that isn't owned by Inland Revenue. Yeah. And if you hear, it's now a hotel. And if you head up to the seventh floor, you can have... Roof bar. Wonderful, a roof bar, yes. Oh, nice. Not that you, no, you, yeah. well, no, it wouldn't be for you, Damien. No, 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 no. Lips to touch liquor. <laughs> She'll never preach in the pulpit at the house of breakfast. Well, well, <laughs> well it, it, it would be one way to get closer to God, wouldn't it? A, a roof bar. I'm just heading up to get closer to God. Yeah, yeah I thought getting closer to God through drinking. No, no. <laughs> I think the deal is, Jim, it's communion and I can have as much well, communion as I want. But the communion wine's non-alcoholic. Well, not nowadays. Back in the day it was Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was non-alcoholic when... Was it? I'm no, sure Dad used to serve this. Yeah, well, um, he um, might have started a trend, but yeah, oh, in no, some places they will have actual wine. Goodness me. Yeah, I know. That's why you've unlined well, I've up. always understood it to be non-alcoholic. Mm. There you go. Yeah. Well, I've well, I've come here and learned something. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're learning too. Your audience so, of millions yeah. has been enriched with your information, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, they didn't come to hear me today, no, Jim, because... No. Um, so you weren't interested in going the way of the clergy yourself? Well, well... <laughs> Okay, now, I don't think I've ever told the story. Um, 
I got, I got asked, I won't say by whom, a senior person, a church person at mm. one stage said, they, they'd asked me to preach a sermon in the cathedral or deliver a sermon, um, which I'd done and enjoyed. Um, and, and he said, come and talk. You're the chap we need. So anyway, I was, I, so I went to, to the residence to have the conversation, mm. sort of perspiring with anxiety and apprehension because I, at the time I, I probably would have described myself as agnostic. Oh. You know, I wasn't an absolutely sure yeah. that, I, that I necessarily believed in God and if I did exactly what form God took. Yeah. I think probably, you know, as I've grown older, I've become a little bit certain, more certain. I mean, if I take any phrase in the Bible to me absolutely true, it is God is love. Because yeah. if you turn that around, love is God. Mm. And that, to me, makes perfect sense, and that's almost all you need. You can almost argue that love is a kind of atmosphere in the universe, if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, all that besides. So anyway, he says, come and be a, do you want to join, you know, train for the ministry and so on? And I thought, I can't carry on. I said, uh, <laughs> I was, well, maybe I would be thinking, thinking, I'd get a bony finger saying, ouch, never darken this door again. I said, I'm, I'm not sure I believe in God. And he said, oh, don't worry about that. Not all of us do. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, what? What? Anyway, look, very briefly, yep. John Knoll, I did say about me, John Knowles rang me and said, would you like to, because I, I, he heard me, one of the Christchurch mayoral candidates had a mayoral candidates thing in Christchurch at the at the at the school at the university out at Island, and apparently I'd asked some fairly pointed and sharp questions, and John Knowles rang and said, "I want you to be become a journalist," and I started out doing these silly once a week sort of jokey things for the TV One insert, news insert in Christchurch, and then I ended up as a journalist. And then they, then I got asked to go up to Wellington and write for Close to Home, the serial, because I'd worked with Peter Muxlow oh, so you on the children's program oh, wow. here in Christchurch. So I, he was the second producer of Close to Home and I was the second. And no, neither of us knew a damn thing about it. We're absolutely babes in the woods, you know. And um, But anyway, we had our six-month stint writing episodes of Close to Home and bringing characters into the show and writing them out because an awful lot of actors suddenly found six-day-a-week working life was, wasn't was quite for them. Um, <laughs> so, then so, I, so there was a team of two of you <laughs> writing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh, we'd commission writers. I was okay. a script editor. Right. And and uh, But everyone who was writing it was learning how to write. And it was really it was a, like a university of, of, of life, uh, but university of media learning as you went. Um, Fantastic. And then, yeah, I ended up on Today at One with Sharon Crosby um, and then Current Affairs, Dateline Monday, and then Gordon Dryden tapped me on the shoulder and said, do you want to come and work at Radio Pacific? And then he went mad, so <laughs> somebody said, he would, well, he just kept on changing things to the point that everyone got fed up and resigned. So, um, yeah, I got an offer at Radio Avon. Um, and I don't. I worked for. And then I went back to TV in Christchurch. Yeah. Did the science show fast forward, and then along the way I was sort of burbling away in debates Hang and on. things. Let me. Do, yeah. You did the science show with your science grades. How did that work? Well, very actually, <laughs> uh, no. You yeah. see, the funny thing about that yeah. is, um, I think it was. You see, what what 
what I, because I didn't understand it, because I didn't understand yeah. some of what they were saying, I would keep on asking them to explain it to me until uh, I did. Yeah. And I would, and you see, the interesting thing about scientists and experts, quote unquote, in general, they don't talk to us, they talk to each other. Yeah. So when they're talking, when they're explaining something, they're explaining it to the PhD in the next office because they want to impress, sorry, they want to impress, I've just bumped the microphone, viewers, uh, they want to impress him or her. Um, but I would say, right, let's put this in words of one syllable yeah. and let's, you know, let's get a very simple, easy metaphor. And it took a while for them to kind of break the habit of a lifetime and, and use polysyllables and bewildering explanations. But when they did, all of a sudden you had something very simple and also something you could visually realise with, with images. And and I, I I really enjoyed doing that. It was good fun. Yeah. So most of your time was spent in Christchurch or did you, you went to Auckland? No, 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 no. I, well, I worked initially in Christchurch and yeah. then I worked in Wellington at Avalon yeah. oh, yeah. in the Lower Hutt, uh, commuting um, from from the city, CBD, to uh, from Mount Vic. Um, to, to to there. Then I went up to Auckland to work for Radio Pacific and then back to Christchurch, yeah. And I've done a couple of stints in Auckland at just brief things. And also there was a program I was I did down here in Dunedin back in the day at UDC Inventors Awards, which was good fun. So you you run through a whole heap of jobs that you've, you know, <laughs> yes, that you've had, which is not unusual in that industry, to be fair, but what is what is usual in that industry is also that the, there's lots of characters. So, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Give us some goss. Uh, what, oh. who, who are the big characters that you work with? Oh, well, um, well, I, I really, well, I, um, the producer of Dateline Monday, uh, I won't say who, but... He was a fearsome, fearsome tire. He had an office, so he had a little office. And we had a big, big sort of open plan office, and everyone's got desks. And in one corner, his office, you know, with uh, glass walls. And if he needed to talk to somebody, he would just yell. All right, so I won't. I'll, I'll go off microphone. And Jam. <laughs> <laughs> and and you'd be terrified. Your bowels would turn to water. You think, what have I done? You know. And you go scampering in and and um, and and uh, normally get abused vigorously for not. And you wanted to hear it. Well, some of it, yeah. If he was really cross, um, <laughs> it was great fun working with. Uh, um, well, over the years, doing debates with people like Gary, Gary McCormick, yeah. uh, Alan Grant, um, Kerry Woodham, Dave, David McPhail, uh, and John Gadsby. Um, there's some amazing yeah. names in New oh, Zealand. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. There was a, t- was a golden era, do you think? Well, it was an early era. And yeah. it was, a, I'm, I'm talking about John, um, we did a debate. I mentioned the Oxford Union came here and, they, and we had a debate in Dunedin in, the, in one of the St. James, I think. It wasn't the town hall. It was the one on the other side of the octagon. Anyway, I won't go into all the details, but um, the, uh, various of the pro- pro- secondary schools in Dunedin had come along including a group of girls from a convent with, with, the, with the nuns. Anyway, John went off on a bit of a sort of a detour in the, in the course of his speech and certain issues and matters were traversed, <laughs> shall we say, of an R16 nature. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and I remember to this day, all of a sudden, 
these nuns shot up as yeah. if rocket propelled, <laughs> and the girls all <laughs> shot up, and then they just all marched out of the theatre in silent disapproval. And it was mm. like it was like you'd stabbed the balloon and all let all the air out. <laughs> um, uh, Peter Llewellyn worked with Peter at um, on Fast Forward. Uh, Bob Parker had a bit to do with Bob. Yeah. Kerry Woodham. Yeah. Um, I bumped into Kerry at the. I first met her um, in the bar in Avalon. Um, and again, I won't. I won't go into all the details. But she was teasing a well-known person in television at the time. She she was just new, very new, very brash. But, but very reckless in terms of what she was saying. And she was um, needling this person with a bit of goss that everyone sort of knew about under the surface but never mentioned. And, um, and at one point they kind of looked at her sort of sternly and said, be very careful uh, what you say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but anyway, I, I thought, you're a very feisty young woman. And when people rang me up to... Because they would ring up and say, "Would you do a debate?" and "Can you think of anyone?" and and I'm I I I think I can say fairly and honestly that I I would I was probably the first person to suggest that they got people they got Kerry to yeah. to, to be a be a, she was smash up very yeah. funny and look at her she's gone on to a career in radio and yeah. MC and all the other yeah. and yeah, the dancing say, yeah. I made her what she is today. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not. No, you only make yourself, really, don't yeah. you? Do you still yeah. keep in contact with her, or does occasionally? Yes, yeah. yes. I, um, I, 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 I've done talkback radio. I like talkback radio. I yeah. probably enjoy talk radio more than television because yeah. radio people say it's the theatre of the mind, yeah. and it is. You know, essentially, you <laughs> whatever is going on is is what you create. Yep. Listening, um, television—it's all done by committee. You know, uh, like like you you ask, I, I might be asking the question, but somebody else is running the microphone, yep. and somebody else is shooting the camera. And you might say to them, "Can you give me a close-up? I just want to see the person's face." But then they decide they don't want to do that. So when you get to edit it, what you think you'd have to put together isn't what you've got. Yep. Um, so it's much more of a committee process and it's much more dependent on everyone kind of meshing and cohering. And um, with radio, essentially, it's you and a mic mm. yeah. and, and the prep you do. Yeah. I mean, you know, all that thing about the luck, the more you, the, the more you prepare, the, the luckier you are is absolutely true. It's true of everything. Well, we've got lucky, but Gary doesn't do much preparing for these podcasts. Well, no, that's not true. I've, I've seen Gary at council meetings <laughs> making notes and I've said to him, what are you doing? He said, oh, podcast, podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time to worry about the race. I'm getting yeah, ready for yeah. a podcast. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you, I may you, have made that up, listeners. <laughs> you're talking about your work life. Yes, but, yes. But, but alongside that, you probably had some private life. Oh, yes, indeed. So, so yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, along the way, you know, what relationships and things. Yes, yes, how, yes. how was all that? Well, um, I had them, enjoyed them, and uh, and sort of suffered the vicissitudes when they've crashed and burned. Um, I've got three children and two exes. Uh, one's living in London, and I think my well, I know my daughter is in London, and, and in fact is with her mother now, uh, mm-hmm. and she she uh, my my ex partner. Uh, 
her mum has now got a, a nice British lawyer fellow who's um, keeping her to the manner in which she's accustomed <laughs> <laughs> or has become accustomed since she left here. Let's hope this doesn't go to London as podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it probably will. Yeah. Well, uh, well yeah. no, the, the, see, the, the benefit is um, her parents came from Scotland and uh, so she has dual citizenship. So the so two of my three children have are dual have dual citizenship as well. So they can, they are actually able to kind of travel essentially yeah. freely and easily between the UK and here at least or anywhere that the UK allows people. And my other son, uh, he's now doing a carpentry building apprenticeship in in Victoria. Yeah. And I'm really pleased. I think you know uh, I would counsel people not to go to university. Yeah. Cost far too much, and um, oversupply of marketing and management consultants and HR advisors. Yeah. And basically, you spend twenty thousand dollars or more yeah. uh, to compete in a in a crowded market. You probably end up doing. I mean, I was talking did a tour at Whitestone Cheese today, and there was a lady there from Germany. Um, who'd gone to Ireland to study, train in hotel management. So she'd spent a lot of time and money yeah. learning how to be a hotel manager. And, and now she's designing e, e, um, electric vehicles for, for, for Volkswagen. Go figure. Anyway, <laughs> I, mean, I, I just think trades are such an important... Yeah. I mean, they've been undervalued for so long. Yeah. And, and if you want a satisfaction... Uh, and B, um, security and a good income. Yep. I, I, I think, you know, it's a, it's a genuine toss-up between university and, and, and a, a tr- apprenticeship. Yep, good advice. Um, That's great advice. See, see I, I like working with my hands, um, and I like the fact that at school we did woodwork. Yep. And I like the fact that I even now I can do a bit of rudimentary carpentry, and I, well, I might do it. <laughs> it might just be two bits of wood nailed together, but oh, I might do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we talked about some TV personalities, politicians. Yes, yes. You, I know you had a couple oh. of friends that are politicians as well along the way. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, good question. Um, yeah, my first election campaign was 1969. Uh, and I was at still at the university, I was still hanging around the university. I never graduated in the end, but I was sort of hanging around you know, editing these newspapers and so doing the reviews and so on. And um, there was a bunch of sort of mad uh, uh, trainee would-be revolutionaries who, want, who, who had decided that they wanted to get Keith Holyoke and the National Party of the day re-elected because this would um, create further class division and class strife, and it would lead the working class to rebel in outrage and fury and bring about a, a Marxist utopia in New Zealand. So this and was their plan. This was their theory, wow. right? So they went along to the to yeah. Christchurch Town Hall and heckled Holyoke and yeah. got nationwide publicity. And so, Meanwhile, Norman Kirk was saying, I'm pulling, I'm pulling the troops out of Vietnam by Christmas. And I thought that was a jolly good idea. Yeah. I didn't think the troops should have been in Vietnam. So I ended up campaigning for the a local guy who wanted to be the Labour Party candidate in St Albans, and he won, uh, but Labour lost because um, they had a waterfront strike up in Auckland. And I remember Kirk on the night, he came round to congratulate the candidate who'd won in, um, in St Albans, and I remember quite vividly he was at the home of the host of the, you know, after-match uh, after party, so to speak, Kirk said about how, how bitter, bitterly disappointed he was that they'd lost. 
and he described, um, I think, uh, Bill Anderson um, as a right, and I can never work out quite what he said, he's a rice-bowling communist. <laughs> but it's a phrase that's stuck in my mind because uh, he, he blamed the extreme left in Auckland for engineering the strike because they had a march up Queen Street on the night before election and this was back in the day when everyone voted on the one day, the Saturday. And basically the swing to Labour went all the way through the whole country up to Auckland and then it stopped. And he, he was absolutely convinced it was the um, it was this <laughs> waterfront strike. Anyway, they won in 72. I got to know him. I got to know David Longy very well through debates. Yeah. Got to, I did really do, and I'm not name-dropping here. I remember we did a series on TV2. I can't even remember the name of it, and I've looked up, and I, uh, um, it can't have been on for very long. But they did this thing where they did 30-minute debates. So you had three people talking for about two, two and a half minutes each, and David was a leader of one team and I was a leader of the other. So we were the sort of permanent fixtures every week. Yep. And um, we did a whole bunch of these and basically we were there to be waggish lads and tell jokes and so on. And then um, I think he became deputy leader or was about to become deputy leader. Anyway, so we're doing a debate in this night and he gets up and we must build and life is a struggle and there are mountains to climb and we have to have hope in our hearts and... I'm thinking, what's this all about? You know, it was like, um, <laughs> it, was come to, it was a come to Jesus thing, you know. And I'm thinking, what, where are the jokes? <laughs> and I said, after, I said to him afterwards, um, well, what, are you okay? That, that, that wasn't sort of, that wasn't funny. Well, that wasn't, you know, your, your sort of usual funny material. And, he, and I remember him saying, there's a time to stop being funny. And he was absolutely right. He'd been a jokey, waggy, comedic backbencher known for his sort of repartee, very large size, but repartee and great jokes. Then he was deputy leader and it was time to be serious and just be serious. And it was only when he became prime minister and went over to do the Oxford Union debate that he, and even then, that was, he, people wrote most of that speech for him, not banging him for that. But um, but he but I just remember that there's a, there's a time to stop being funny, wow. and he was absolutely right from a political point of view. He was absolutely right. Yeah. Mm. So they, you long he got in, and and so you still had some involvement in the uh, politics. Well, I well I um, I was still I was working as a journalist, but occasionally we would do debates, uh, sort of on the side, so to speak, um, and so I I got to be got to know him quite well and become. You know, reasonably friendly with him, yeah. Mm. Uh, but um, I don't think I ever interviewed him as a Prime Minister. I did interviewed Rob Key a few times, interviewed Rob Muldoon, he got very cross once, did an interview with him about the Khmer Rouge because we were, this was when they were, all the massacres and murders in Cambodia had been revealed. But they were part of ASEAN or one of the treaty organisations and we wouldn't disavow them. We wouldn't... Just de- de- denounce them as brutal killers, and my, my brief in the interview was why not. So I basically kept hammering this question, and Muldoon and he said, "That's it, ripped the microphone off and stormed out." Oh well, you know, looked good on camera. But um, <laughs> then he retired, uh, and when I was working for CTV, he came down to Christchurch. Uh, 
And by that stage, he'd, he'd done this, his stint on the Rocky Horror Show and all the rest of it. And he was trying to re, he was trying to become Uncle Rob rather than you know the tough yeah. despot or dick person that people had perceived him to be previously as Prime Minister. And uh, we did an interview with him for CTV. There was probably about six weeks before he died, so it was probably oh, wow. it was probably, probably the last interview. That, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I don't think I ever interviewed John. I remember doing, doing a function and uh, John Key was sort of, there was a fundraiser and I was the MC. And um, in the course of sort of the dinner, listening before, before the speech, um, Broner, his wife, said that um, she'd gone out with him when I think she was 17 and he might have been a year older. And apparently on their first date, on their first day, he had said, "I am going to be prime minister." Wow! So he knew. <laughs> but but that's what I mean. Yeah. Seriously, you you meet the pe- people who become political leaders; they are all driven. Yeah, I, I don't care how they appear, in, you know, on camera or you know in public; they are absolutely driven. Yeah. Uh, they just you don't get there if you're not. You don't get there by mistake. You just don't. Yeah. It doesn't. It, honestly, yeah. I really. I mean, even Bill Rowling, who people sort of sniggered at. You know, you you off camera when you're getting ready to do interviews or, or so on. He was as tough as the rest of them. You know, yeah. uh, he really was. Yeah. So you, anyway. yeah, um, somewhere along the line there, um, <laughs> you got associated again with Omaru. Um, yeah, well, through the debates, yeah. yeah. I mean, Ali Ludeman rang me up because um, uh, I was. I'd got elected to the Baxter Peninsula District Council, which had even, it was very small. It was the second smallest council in the country, I think. Only Chatham Island, no, Kaikoura was the only one that had fewer people. We only had a population of 12,000 or 9,000 and only about 2,000 ratepayers. Very big area, a bit like Waitaki. Um, so uh, underpopulated and undercapitalised, basically, as a lot of smaller councils are. Anyway, um, originally Littleton was going to be sucked up and swallowed up in Christchurch and all the people in Littleton got very grumpy about this in uh, 1989. And uh, when Hamish Hay, who was mayor of Christchurch, came over at the time, um, everyone said, we don't want to be part of Christchurch. So he went back to the city and persuaded them to reverse their vote. And so all of a sudden, much to the chagrin of those in Wellington, Banks Peninsula became independent. Anyway, this is by way of saying that my phone number and contact details were sort of semi-public on the website. Um, uh, so Ali Ludeman found out where I lived and rang me up because she was president, I think, of the IHC here at yeah. the time, and she wanted to have these fundraising debates. And anyway, we put those together for about a decade, didn't we? And I kept coming down here every year because, um, well, I just, she kept asking me. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and I just, uh, had, well, you see, I had this lifelong passion for architecture, yeah. which had drawn me to Littleton because it's a lovely little yeah. wooden colonial town. But coming down here, you find this amazing stone colonial town. And it's one of the few places in New Zealand where, where much of the CBD, the old CBD, was built at the same time and of the same material. Yeah. If you look around the rest of the country, it's different. It's corrugated iron and concrete and timber and all sorts of different looks and yep. materials. Here, everything's the same, and that gives a uniformity and a harmony that I think has real uniqueness in a small space. And it can Dunedin's a lot much the same, but you have to walk further to see it. You know, 
Anyway, so that was it. Yeah, the debates. And I kept coming down here and I'd stay and linger and have a few days after the debate and just wander around and I discovered Kuraheka and um, Moaraki and, yeah. you know, and I thought I, I want to get a place here and maybe have a holiday batch, you know, a place to come. Anyway, no one else was interested until the relationship crashed and burnt, at which point I thought, well, if I don't do it now, I never will. So I did. So the, the, the um, debates, was that, that was kind of 90s into the 2000s? Yes, it was. It? Well, I, I can't remember when the last one was. But, um, yeah, it would have been late uh, late 90s, yeah. I was doing a young farmer at the time. Did that for 21 oh, yeah, years. That was another thing. You yeah, did. yeah, that yeah. brought me down here as well. Um, so you, you would go around with the young farmers competition yes, yes. and, and well, they had do all of the rural... They, they had seven regional finals and then a grand final. So it was sort of eight fixtures every year that... Mm went into different places, and we'd came, we came to North Otago two or three times over that time. Um, well, I'd like to think that we've adopted you now as a Waitaki um, Oh, yeah. Well, I definitely um, left well, you I, No, I adopted you. Oh, I mean, in no, fairness. No. Well, I think we've, we've opened our arms to you as well. <laughs> yes, So, yes. you know, it goes both ways. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, you've, and since you've been here, you've been, how many terms have you been on council now? Uh, five, four or five. Four or five, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About the same as Gary. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but without interruption. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I'd had two, and then Jim got on. Yeah. And but I had one off uh, yeah. along the way after yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. No, very good. And um, and I've seen you. You've um, you've guided tours around the old part of town. And you, what else yes. do you do while well, you're here? Well, what um, keeps you busy? Well, uh, council. I mean, you, I, people sort of seem seem to think it's a relatively cushy number, but it isn't. I mean. Um, you'd probably spend at least 30 and sometimes up to 50 hours a week, most of it at home reading material. Yep. I mean, you know, in fairness, it's not out in public, although the, obviously there are places to go to people to meet and events to, to be part of. But an awful lot of it is prepping. I mean, you get a... Well, OK, so the government's just done a resource management reform and it's produced 800 pages to replace 900 pages and says it's going to be easier and cheaper and quicker and simpler. Ah, yeah, right. But but you've got to read the 800 pages. You just do. You know, because because if you're going to say, oi, yeah. we like this but we don't like that, yeah. you have to know what you're talking about. You have to be a future for local government. Yeah. They produce the thing that I think services, serves the government's purposes more than ours, to be perfect. That's my private personal opinion. But again, you have to read all of it to have to be able to make cogent and informed comment. That's only two hundred and sixty-one pages. Mm. <laughs> so, so you know, on a quiet week you can spend twenty or thirty hours, and a busy week it can be double that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I also do tours at Whitestone Cheese now, as and when they are yep. required. Well, before COVID, tourism Waitaki had they'd worked out that walking tours were apparently a big growth thing worldwide. So they thought. Let's have them here. And they interviewed a bunch of us and some of us got uh, asked to do the tours. And they were great and we were getting good buy-in and good numbers from people overseas because the people were coming in big numbers. And then bingo, uh, March 2020, uh, COVID arrived, borders are closed, and it was just like, just fell off a cliff. Um, and it was only after that a friend of mine, Jeremy, actually, said, because uh, he was working at Whitestone Cheese at the time, said that they were looking for a tour guide. And I'd really enjoyed doing the tours at the precinct. So um, I rang and 
sent them my CV and I couldn't find anyone else. So now I've become a world authority on cheese. <laughs> Not quite. Going, going from old buildings to old cheese. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. I can imagine your Very CV. cheesy. Yeah. Your cheesy CV rooms. being 800 pages as well. Not quite, Not no. Not quite. Must no. be getting up there, though. Oh, well, yeah. I mean... You've um, had a busy life. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we, we've We've missed a few bits. You, oh well, I, you I, did I, a you did a wee bit of writing. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, five books, books and sheds, back in the shed, yeah. <laughs> inventions from the shed. Yeah, and then there was a book that was much misunderstood called Mates, and everyone thought it was new age and new worldy and touchy feely. It was just about male friendship. Yep. But even trying to explain that to booksellers, I thought, oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But it was a great, it was a great idea yeah. that that unlike some of the shed books didn't sell particularly well. Maybe you. But I really enjoyed doing it. Nowadays, yeah. that probably. Sorry. Yeah, just re-release it nowadays. You're probably ahead of your time. You think? Well, possibly. Um, yeah. I might. Uh, uh, there were theories that the cover photograph and a few things like that probably yeah. put people off. They but the idea was we did. Um, we had uh, who did we have? We had Burton Silver and yeah. uh, who was Jenny Sh- Burton Shipley, Jenny Shipley's husband, um, Keith Quinn, a whole bunch of people like that, and their friends, yeah. and like why they were friends and how long they'd been friends, yeah. and, so, and it was just sort of a celebration of yeah, of mateship, yeah. you know. And, yeah, and the other book was uh, Words on Wings, which because that was the other thing back in the day. I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Till they said you couldn't wear glasses. <laughs> uh, they said no, 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 that won't work. So discriminatory. Um, so anyway, but I, I, architecture and aviation are two lifelong passions, oh. and um, so I, I, the, Words on Wings is a sort of anthology of New Zealand aviation writing by people who are civil aviation and military. Yeah, amazing the stuff from World War Two. Yep. Just amazing, really amazing, and and. Um, as a result of that, I ended up doing columns at different times for the Christchurch Press yep. and New Zealand Herald, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Very difficult to think. Well, you will know this. I mean, a column, I think that Herald wanted me to do 850 words max, and and I don't know what that will work out in terms of time, but that idea, once a week, you have to come up with an original, provocative yeah. idea. Yeah. And it's the same with your sermon. Yeah. You know, I bet there's days when you think, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> what am I going to say? Will and they then, listen? <laughs> and then something will happen. Yeah. You know, you'll go yeah. into a shop and you'll overhear a conversation. Yeah. A snap. Yeah. Right. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Is it time? You're looking bored. No, no, no. no. I, just, I just went, had a gentleman microphone caught. That's all. Not my headphone cord. That's all good. No, this is brilliant, Jim. It's so good. So, um, you think you're settled here in Omaru? Oh, definitely. Yep, yeah. This is... well, I came. I came here early two thousands. Yeah. And for quite a while, um, while uh, my second son was finishing high school, I spent a lot of time commuting between Christchurch and and Omaru. And I was also working for some of that time in Auckland. Um, you know, two or three days a week. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit of a um, uh. A gypsy lifestyle, if you're allowed to say that, or a bit of a peripatetic lifestyle. Better, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I hope the word peripatetic well, didn't discombobulate you. <laughs> well, I'm just hoping that most of the audience won't know what it means. So, no wandering, no prone to walking about. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, tr- trust me, that is what it means. Yeah. I think, <laughs> unless I've made it up. Um, but anyway, so, so I was, but after electing, being elected, 2007, I kind of. 
essentially settled here permanently. And, um, I mean, the, the logic at the time when I came down was I'd always w- I'd wanted to ever since I'd discovered North Otago, which I think is a genuinely beautiful area. I really do. And I love the rolling countryside and the like because Canterbury, you, you drive from Christchurch through Ashburton to Timor. By the time you get there, you want to slash your wrist. It's just one long straight flat road. No, please, give me a <laughs> give me a windy bendy bit. <laughs> anyway... Um, uh, but my logic was I can put everything in a truck, move down to Omaru, and uh, if I don't like it, I can put everything in the truck and move back. Yeah. Or, but I haven't, and I, I can't see any reason why I should. Yeah. I just can't. I love it here. It's really nice. Yeah. Well, it's good to, ha- good to have you here. You bring a bit of character and a bit of, um, I wouldn't say the word spice to Omaru. You know, you're <laughs> unique. Yeah. You're unique mm. in what you do, and you, and you add a bit of flavour. So, um, yeah, it's good. It's, and we're, we're wrapped to have you here. Oh, thank you, yeah. Damien. Yeah. yeah, and I think the same can be said for the House of Breakthrough oh, since we're showering it. compliments no. on each other. Because <laughs> yeah. you, you're, you're a newcomer as well. Well, not a newcomer, no, but you've I'm, come from elsewhere, aren't you? No, I'm from here. Well, I thought wasn't you wasn't born in one Maddie like you boys. I was. But, I'm, I'm, I'm no, really he, through he moved. Through. He moved away. But that lovely cloak in your office, which oh, people can't went, see, you got that in Gisborne. You went for two years. Ah, and right. Got, oh, okay. And right. Then they kicked me right. Out. They didn't want me in Gisborne. Oh, um, oh so I can't they, imagine why. Yeah. No, Isn't no. that a nice waterfront? Gisborne. The yeah, Gisborne one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah beautiful yeah. up there. And the Cook Monument. That's mm. yeah. Yeah, and the history there. This, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yes. in um, Tolog Bay and in, yeah, where um, Cook right. touched down and yeah. got, took on fresh water. Young Nick's head. Yeah, young Nick's yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah, Gary hasn't been there, so he's a bit no. lost. <laughs> It's been a long time since I've been there, to be fair. I think think he thinks of young Nick Head as one of his nephews. (laughs) 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 There was a cabin boy on your ship when you came over here, wasn't he? he? (laughs) Yes, Yes, that's right, yes. Give you one back. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) No, no, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's an interesting place with its own challenges, Mm. but, Mm. uh, yeah, some... Some fantastic spots here too, mm. but no, that's that's great. It's mm. um, you know I know we've still only touched on things quite lightly, really, considering well, yeah. that everything you have done and um, all of the people you've worked with, all of the things you've been involved with along the along the way. Mm. Well, I, I, one yeah, one one of the lessons I've learned, um, like one of the things I really like about our council. Um, and smaller councils generally, is they're made up of independence. And one of the things I hate about Parliament, having worked there as a journalist and and also having worked for political parties and done election campaigns, there's this myth about the party machine and how efficient everything is and how it goes like clockwork and how there are these ruthless planners who, who plot everything to the, to the nth degree. It's not true. I mean, they're basically a bunch of bumbling idiots with... <laughs> You know, somebody's got a lot of money and the person with most money, just their opinions win. Yeah, this is, this is central government. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know, well, parties. But the, but the councils yeah. that stuff up are, yeah. the, are the party-dominated ones. Yeah. They're the ones where you've got blocks who decide in advance how they're going to vote and just ram things through and, and actually will even publicly say, we don't listen to people. As somebody in Wellington said just before the election in, in respect of cycle weight. But... Smaller councils, independent people who need to persuade each other, work with each work other, with each other um, and, yeah. and, and build a consensus that they can live with and, and promote. 
And and one of the things I found in 89 when I decided I had to put my money where my mouth is and, and stand as a candidate having, you know, campaigned, being one of the people who was arguing for that Banks Peninsula shouldn't be sucked into Christchurch. The thing that I've loved about council stuff is how, see, everything else is like a tightrope. It's all like you're on the tightrope and it's you. If you're doing a speech and it doesn't work, you fall off and there's no, you can't say it's somebody else's fault. And if you're doing a radio show and no one rings up, same thing. If you're doing a, a TV, podcast TV, and you only have well, exactly. Listeners. Yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. it's but it's all strictly yeah. it's it's solo yeah. and it's a tightrope and there's no safety net. Yeah. But with a council, it's collegial. You, you must work together. You're often going at the pace of the slowest person or the most reluctant person. Yeah, and it, and it's all down to your ability to persuade people, which I'm not very good at. <laughs> <laughs> But I try, and it's so satisfyingly different. Yeah. It really is a completely yeah. different way to work. Yeah. But and and that's what makes it fun yeah. for me and satisfaction satisfa- and the results you deliver. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you look at what's happened in North Otago since two thousand or yeah. even earlier. Yeah. In fact, probably the big the big transformation here uh, happened when Gary was on the council and the council voted to to, to lend. A very large amount of money to to the North Otago Irrigation Company, yep. and they revitalised the heartland, repopulated schools, yep. created an industry, the farming sector that's now the biggest and most significant in the district, and really it's it it, it, it brought Omaru back to life. Yeah, well, it gave life. Back to Omaru. Yeah, just stop. A massive achievement. Stop some of that destructive, you yeah. know, boom and bust. Yeah. Through you know good times and drought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. indeed. Yeah. But no, it's um, you know I think over the you know the last twenty years there's been a lot achieved and yes, indeed. You know, I think you're right. And yeah. and the good thing is there's so much more. Mm. Yes, it's all that potential. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for um, oh, yeah, no, just even putting your name down and standing as as that. Oh, do I get on? Uh, people like what I bring, so thank you for once again standing, putting your name in the ring, and saying, "Hey, I've still got more to offer to the community. I still have some wisdom that I can pass <laughs> on." And, and obviously, the voters, you know, they've seen that in you. So a couple of iotas of wisdom, a yeah. skerrick here, hither and there, <laughs> a little bit left, a little yeah. bit left in the larder of, of knowledge and yeah. understanding. Yeah, so thank you for that. And oh, I'm, I'm assuming you. Can Gary in line every now and again. No, no, for no, us. no. He he will tell you that he struggles, but successfully manages to keep me in line. I, I do try to be. <laughs> do well you want paid. to state that for the record, Gary? Would uh, that be a fair assumption? What Jim said? Yeah, uh, <laughs> occasionally. Yeah, just, <laughs> he has had occasions to rebuke yeah, me. He's, yes. he's he's had occasions where I've had to agree with him. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah it works so. both ways. Oh, well, thank you for coming in today. Oh, and, my um, pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. I genuinely appreciate it. Oh, thank no, you. I really enjoyed listening. It was good. Um, yeah, there's some good stories there. Mm. Maybe the next book should be The Life and Times. Well, I've yeah. thought, oddly enough, isn't it funny, and I suppose it's, you know, the time of life and all that yeah. sort of stuff, but I've kind of thought about that oh. idea of a memoir. Yeah. You know, I find, uh, the funny thing is I find myself thinking more, more about childhood. And think, you know, I just even talking yeah. to you today about the yeah. Canterbury E-grade hockey team. Yeah. And and John Wilson and I, <laughs> who, were, who were both, went to Addington yeah. Primary, and we would go down to Hagley Park to practice before we went over to the West Coast. And I remember these cold, foggy nights where you could hardly see about yeah. 10 feet and old measurements in front of you, but we'd dribble and shoot at the goal. And, 
absolutely dedicated beyond belief. Not yeah. that it worked. Five one to them. <laughs> <laughs> the destruction of a, yeah. a great record. <laughs> yes. I could have been a contender. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, no. Thanks very much, Jim, for coming My pleasure. In and for sharing uh, some yeah. some some great anecdotes. It's been much appreciated. It's, thanks for coming in. Do you think we need to apologise to Tubby, the goalkeeper, in case he listens? And um, or do we hope he he, he doesn't tune in? Well, um, let's just risk the yeah, you know, take a risk, yeah, yeah. just in case. Yeah, but for yeah. everyone else who got offended or yeah, insulted yeah, or named, um, yeah. yeah, apologies yeah. for that. No, it's good. Um, really enjoyed talking to Jim today. I've just learned so much about him and his history and um, who he is and what he's been doing, and it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. no, he's certainly been involved in a lot over the years. Yeah, 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 no, very good. So, no, I've enjoyed that. Hopefully, the listeners will do. And I think we've got next week's podcast is going to be another. Another cracker. It's yeah. going to be another great interview. And, um, yeah, so I look forward to coming on in and doing that as well. Certainly hoping so. Yeah. All right. <laughs> thanks very much. All right. Thanks, Gary. Bye. Bye.